Welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to check us out. We've got a great guest today. Doc Coyle from Bad Wolves is here. But uh, before we get to that real quick, if you could help me out by doing some or all of the following, uh, liking my page on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, subscribing to the show via YouTube or wherever you listen, and finally writing a review of the show either on iTunes or wherever you listen, uh, those things would really help me out and I will forever be grateful to that. Uh, now on with the show. Today's guest is Doc Coyle. He is the guitarist for the band Bad Wolves, and they've had four number one rock songs on the charts, including their smash hit Zombie, which of course is a cover of the Cranberry song. And uh, before he joined Bad Wolves, he was in a band called God Forbid for like 17 years. I didn't know about this. And uh, he's also filled in for Lamb of God. He's written blogs for VH1 and Metal Sucks. And he, uh, he also hosts his own podcast, The X-Man podcast with doc coil and i gotta say this was one of the most fun interviews i think i've ever done and we went a little long probably a lot long and that's because uh doc and i we we went off script and we went down some rabbit holes together and we talked conspiracy theories and ufos and politics and the media and a lot more and it was just it was really interesting stuff to me so i hope you'll agree uh, we also talk music, of course, and I get his take on changing singers in Bad, Bad Wolves and, of course, what happened with Tommy because I was really curious about his opinion on that. It didn't seem like Bad Wolves had really said much about what happened. So overall, he just has great opinions on a lot of different things. And this episode was a blast for me. I hope you guys enjoy it, too. Let me know what you think afterwards, after you listen. Uh, let me know your thoughts. I'd be curious to hear that. Please welcome Doc Coyle to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, just, uh, you know, I've been trying to get my life together, you know, trying to get up earlier. So I got a little bags in my eyes. So I'm, but you know what? I got the coffee. I'm ready to go. All right. No, you look great, man. I got to tell you, uh, I'll be honest. Uh, Bad Wolves fans, fans of you are going to kill me right now. But I thought Bad Wolves, obviously, it's a newer band, 2018 or whatever you guys formed. I thought you were like super young. I thought you were like 25 because I'm thinking this is a new band. I didn't know you're in this other band called God Forbid for like 17 years. Yeah, so, I mean, I was young. So, you know, I get I went from being the young guy in the band to being like the old fogey in the band. <laughs> <laughs> no, you look great. I don't know. Whatever you're doing, it's working. So you should give secrets on that. Like, well, no, listen, I, I'll tell you, here's the key to not aging. Okay. Okay. Uh, don't spend too much time in the sun and just avoid responsibility. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, that doesn't add up because you have tons of, you, you write blogs, you do podcasts, you're in bands. But I, but I want to do it. Like, it's not okay. like someone, you know, I do all that stuff because I enjoy it and I like molded my life so that the things I spend my time doing are things I I enjoy doing and then yes there are deadlines and there are pressures but it's it's all stuff that I enjoy. So well, and what's amazing is that you, you can make money off of it. That's the real amazing part cuz there's a lot of people that would love to do things that they enjoy but the fact they most of them can't make money off it or make a living. Well, I I always feel like at least the level I'm at, you always have to kind of cobble together different income streams. You know, I had a, even with Bad Wolves, I had another job almost the whole time. So I didn't really, to, yeah, you know, um, so I was always, and then I also had the podcast and I always was doing 
other things. I would tour with, you know, I toured with Mark Morton from Lamb of God with his solo band. I did dates, you know, with the wedding band with with Rob and Kirk from Metallica. I did uh, Ship Rocked and played, you know, with the with the Stowaways on that. So it's I always feel like if you put all your eggs in one basket in, ter- in terms of making a living, you're you know, you're just you're you're taking a big risk. You're kind of just jumping out without a uh, a parachute because that one thing goes away, then you're kind of sitting there uh, holding the bag, hmm. for like better metaphor. See, that's and that's I kind of agree with you because I had somebody else tell me I was talking about writing this book, and they're like, "No, you should just go." You know, there's some book called One Thing. I forget who it's. I don't know. Have you heard of that book called One Thing, where you're supposed to just focus on one thing? And they told me to just like go all in on the podcast, and I'm like. I think you got to do a lot of things. I mean, if you look at Rogan, the most successful podcast ever, it's he does a million things. I mean, he's a comedian, he's an actor, he hosts TV shows, he does MMA stuff. So, yeah. Well, I think he, but he does focus on a few things, right? It's comedy, it's fighting, and it's his his podcast, right? And so he he, but he found a way to turn his passions into his mm-hmm. career. Uh, but I think what he's showing is that most of us are fairly diverse, right? We're not all just like, I just like this one thing and I want right. to do it 24-7. And I think if you do that, you'll have more of a chance of being successful in that one realm. I just personally, for me, I just get bored. I think there's a, like, I think there's a rational way to look at it where, hey, if I put all my chips in, I'm going to be really great at this one thing. And I think there... I, I think that logic, especially like with things like social media, right? Like, let's say someone mm-hmm. goes to your Instagram and you're a guitar player and all it is is videos of you playing guitar and showing your rig and doing lessons. That's your brand. Mm-hmm. So we know what you do. If you're, if you're a model and it's picture, it's your everyday. If I go to your page and it's just pictures of you modeling and looking cool and that's your thing where me, I do so many things. Sometimes I'm like, I think I'm just too all over the place. It's like sometimes I'm posting about, the movies I like. And sometimes I'm here's a video of me playing guitar. Here's me on vacation. It's a little, so I, I do think streamlining things to some degree, uh, there's a big benefit of that as well. So it's, it's just depends on what your strategy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I like your strategy better too. Cause I, I'm into so many different things and even my podcast, I look at a lot of my peers with podcasts and they only interview musicians. And I, I got to have some authors on. I try, I like try to get some movie TV people and um, just other experts. Cause it's interesting. It's like, I like to mix it up. Yeah. I get, <laughs> I see me. I, in this weird way, I'm with my show. I'm always kind of following the listeners because usually when I deviate from the normal type of uh, guests, the numbers go down. Yeah. I noticed that too. So I have to, to some degree understand what people come to the show for, but then when it makes sense for me to pique my own interest, it's like I have certain people because I'd rather just talk to smart people and interesting people mm-hmm. rather than a famous person. I, yeah, no, th- that's that's a good point. I really agree. Yeah, I've had some really interesting authors, like conspiracy theory people. Like, I mean, it's really fascinating. Even if you don't agree with everything they say, I like hearing people's opinions. It's really interesting. Yeah, what kind of what kind of conspiracy? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of Jay Dyer? No. Yeah, you should look him up. He's really, and it was interesting because I would say like, hey, I heard you said this about this thing and he would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say that. I said, it's certainly plausible that this could, he was very careful in his wording, really smart guy, really 
uh, interesting stuff. But um, yeah, conspiracy focus. I feel like the uh, the conspiracy mind is a particular kind of filter for looking at the world, and usually it's not very careful choosing words. Yeah, I mean, it can be for sure. Well, then there's people I think, and this guy, he actually works with Alex Jones sometimes. And, and that guy is totally different because Alex Jones just says so much shit. And it's like a lot of it is total bullshit, but some of it's right. But he doesn't seem to care about whether he's saying the truth or not. This guy is like, no, he wants to make sure anything he says is worded correctly. And so I, I don't know. I think it's interesting to, to, to explore some of those those topics, especially like the UFO thing. And now the government's coming out and saying, yeah, there are UFOs. We don't know what they are, but these are real. There's this footage. And I don't know if you follow that at all, but it's fascinating. I'm very, very into that. But I've been into that for years. And I think it's one of the most obvious conspiracies in that, like, to some degree, I think the term has lost its meaning, right? So only thing conspiracy means is that what, the people who have control of certain information, in this case, the government, right? The mm-hmm. idea that UFOs or some beings or something has been essentially entered the public zeitgeist since the 50s or uh, Roswell. Or was that 40s, late 40s? What was Roswell? Might 40s? have been 47 or yeah. so. Yeah. So around the time we started developing nuclear weapons. And people forget, so when Roswell happened, it was in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. As if it was, it wasn't just like one newspaper. It was like, this is here. There are UFOs. They crash landed. They found, like, that was the official story. And then they changed the story. <laughs> and like, no, it's weather balloons. So it's clear from all the evidence that, you know, if you just look at evidence and you don't have to go to some crazy website, just stuff that's out there that you have video footage, photographs eyewitness testimony for people that are credible radar i mean every under every metric there is a just so much is overwhelming evidence that something is here we don't we can't without a doubt say it's it's alien you know but that the government knows something and isn't telling us about it that is the definition of a conspiracy that that people with power are conspiring together to not divulge a a a no another truth so that's so that's at the heart of it. So the fact that this stuff is coming out for me is not really rele- uh, uh, revelatory because it's just kind of like I feel like the rest of the world is catching up where I'm already at. Right. Yeah. No. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. And I always take all this stuff with a grain of salt. Like I don't think I think it's dangerous when people jump to a conclusion one way or the other. Like 100. percent I believe aliens exist. 100% aliens do not exist. Like, I think it's always good to keep an open, like you might lean one way or the other with any of these issues, but, but no, but even with that, I don't lean. It is mathematically a certainty that life exists somewhere in the, in the expanse of the universe. Now, whether that life is in contact with us uh, is we can't say, right? Right. So, you right. Know, Cause it's not mathematically, the the fact like for them to, there there is life probably somewhere but the, mathematically for them to be alive at the same time as us and for us to come in contact with them that is the mathematical rarity because the universe is infinite it's so big how the hell would you ever find anybody well uh i watched this one youtube uh video that basically explained all the scenarios in which uh life may exist and if it does why 
we don't have contact with it. And it, it was it was about 10 different hmm. scenarios. All of them were actually pretty kind of mind bending and and crazy when you think like, for example, so one is. So let's say there's aliens, right? But they literally don't like they can't communicate with us, right? Like, so if you try to talk to a pig and you wanted to like the pig was trying to tell you something like you you don't know what a pig is or a deer right you w- even though we're re- we're way smarter than they are we actually have no way to actually really know what they want or what they care about you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like you can see you can follow their patterns and go okay they're motivated by food or they're motivated to procreate or whatever but there's all these different elements uh that 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 go into it but i you know to me it's the most fascinating thing uh in our lifetime and hopefully there's more that is revealed but to me the just use using deductive reasoning uh the technology that's shown the pervasiveness the the vastness of it uh there, to me there are certain stories that are just it, you know oh china has it oh so you're telling me china has this technology of silent <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, what my buddy was trying to tell me today with this this information that came out. He's saying, "Oh, it's it's China." I'm like, "But the first uh, evidence was 2004, so they're they're waiting 17 years to." But the but the question is, okay, let's say another nation had this technology, right? Yeah. Silent, it could you know break this the speed of sound, turn you know do 90 degree turns, go into the ocean without destroying itself, disable but, the uh, Americans' uh, weapons on the jets. But, but they're not using this technology for anything else but to just fly around America. Right. What? Right. So it's not like they have better internet and better like commercial air technology, uh, better, you know, just robotics, nanotech, AI. Like they're not applying in any of these other areas except this one thing. Right. It makes no sense. Yeah. So, so and it's also uh, technology. Uh, any technology you have, you can always trace back, right? It's roots because uh, all technology, current technology is built on previous technology. So you can see it almost like an evolutionary thing where you see like the mm-hmm. tadpole turning into a man. Yeah, it's goes, linear. Yeah. Yeah you, yeah. you can follow it. So it's, it just really doesn't happen where something goes from zero to 60 overnight right it's a vert technology is very incremental and even certain things that happen quickly like uh robotics or computers even that took decades and it's like very slow right you don't go from the iphone one to the iphone 10 in one year right that Mm -hmm. took 12 years or whatever so i don't know it's uh you know, I don't know if that's what we I, what we were supposed to talk about up here. <laughs> no, that stuff's fascinating. See, I love that stuff too. I'm sure some of our listeners might have tuned out, but I think it's fascinating. I could talk that stuff all day. And I mean, there's so many things like that. And then, like you said, some of those cons- quote unquote conspiracy theories are just you know factual things like MK Ultra, these government programs, Operation Paperclip, and all these things. I mean, they're fact. They're not. Uh, they're not. Cons- they're not fringe. You know, conspiracy. Maybe this happened. Like these are things that actually happened. And so some of those things I think are just really just how um, intelligence organizations operate. They operate using clandestine methods because they're operating in, you know, in service of 
national security. So that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. The whole point of their organizations is to be secretive. Sure, sure. That's to control information. So to me, that is not necessarily, it's not a conspiracy if that's what it's supposed to do. But it's kind of scary some of the stuff that they did to people. And then when you look at, um, what's the guy, the Ted, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, he was a, a victim of those or a participant, I guess you would say, of the MK Ultra experiments. They, it, and so it makes you wonder, is that what caused him to kind of go off the deep end a little bit? Like, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, yeah, of course. But I, but I, think, I think people also have a difficulty understanding that those organizations evolve kind of in the same way society has evolved. So if you go back to the 50s and 60s and 30s and 40s, how many areas of of life can we look at that were way less humane than they are? When you look at racially, yeah, for sure, gender relations. When you look how you know if you were gay in the 50s and it was found out, you would literally get blackballed. You would lose your job. You would you know you'd be thrown out of your community. I mean, so things in general have gotten more humane and I, I, you know, like I said, maybe this is just uh, me being my own personal bias, but I do believe when things like MK ultra fine are, are, you know, become public, when the Tuskegee experiments, things like that become public knowledge, the way the FBI treated, you know, Martin Luther King and the black Panthers and that stuff comes out, J Edgar Hoover, all the terrible things he did. I think those organizations are, do are reforming in the same way societies are, are reforming because there's people know about this stuff more and they're more, uh, there's more scrutiny now on governmental agencies than ever. Uh, so I think it doesn't mean they're perfect or they're not doing shady things. It's not that. Um, but even when I think when these organizations and people do things that we consider to be immoral, I think they think they're doing it for the right reasons, right? They sure. think they're protecting the country. They think they're there's some greater good. Yeah. Even though, and so a lot of times people will do evil shit for quote unquote good reasons. Um, and that's not an excuse, but it's just an examination of human nature. Right. Yeah. No, I'd like to think that we are getting better. And uh, as a society, I mean, sometimes it feels like we're, we're moving backwards when I see stuff and I just shake my head and cringe and uh, but yeah, I'd like to think that, you know, I mean, I guess there's ups and downs for sure. And well, progress is not a linear road. It, it often is you two steps forward, one step back, mm-hmm. one step forward. Two, it, it, it is a herky jerky, uh, experience. I was watching uh, Netflix had a documentary about the 14th amendment that, that described all the stuff like after slavery and how that process of the laws affected black Americans after slavery because it wasn't like, oh, you're free and that you have all these rights. They yeah. all legislation put because the Emancipation Pro- Proclamation happened and in the sense it was all this like, you know, you just it's a different world and just because that one law was passed it's not like people are going to go along with that especially in America where the states have X amount of rights to exert their own power and local localities and municipalities and townships can do so that's just the way it is. Like things just don't, it just doesn't get better. And sometimes things get worse, you know? So, so it's uh history is uh was it the, the arc of history is long, but uh, bends towards justice. I don't know. <laughs> Something oh, I- that's, I never heard that one. That's interesting. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. You look some of the history of uh, you know, the world and especially our, our country. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are just 
awful. But then there's also a lot of great things and a lot of great technology that's been, like you said, technology has gotten so much better. And I mean, sometimes I guess that could be a bad thing too, but. Listen, technology, it's like anything else, right? Fire can be used to heat your home, mm-hmm. cook your meals or burn your house down. Water can be used. We literally need water's, water and oxygen. We need to live, but it can drown you or destroy your home. Uh, you know, a hammer can build a house or beat your skulls of your family and right every, every, everything is a, <laughs> yeah no everything is a, is a double-edged sword uh and so nothing very few things are either either 100 bad or 100 good it's just how we utilize them totally totally i didn't really so you're really into a lot of this stuff i mean i've listened to a few of your podcasts i've heard you talking about this stuff a little bit some other interviews you've done so did you read so you read a lot and you watch a lot of documentaries and things yeah i mean not you know i i i use the word read with uh liberal terms in that you know i i listen to books on tape probably more often than than, than that counts. As, as, I, as, I, as i used to but i'm just a purveyor of of, of information but i but i've also I, I feel like i've also taken a step back to some degree because i think uh at least w- with regard to current events there's a lot of smoke and uh kind of this the 24-hour news cycle and kind of making kind of mountains out of molehills, I think can make you a little crazy. I think I have, you know, mm-hmm. I think, I think this is something with age, you know, I noticed with, with my parents and during the kind of Trump era where people were so clued in, they felt like what's going on on CNN or something is, is if I'm not clued into this thing that I'm kind of not doing my due diligence as a citizen to, to understand what's going on. I think there's moments where it's really important, but, uh, there's also diminishing returns in terms of risk, in terms of how it's actually helping your life. And, it, and I think if we get too clued in, especially to partisan politics, it's really detrimental to your well-being. And it and if you, you're clued into one side, you become skewed and you're only getting mm-hmm. one narrative. And it it completely warps, I think, your ability to kind of be centered, you know, and, that, and centered even that sounds like I'm being like, being a centrist, I don't mean that. I just mean kind of like spiritually and mentally being more just at ease with the world and not thinking the whole thing's on fire all the time, which I feel like people have this peak anxiety they're at all the time because they're hearing about this terrible thing that's happening and this legislation mm-hmm. and this person's getting elected and this war that's happening over here and they're tapping the phones and the drones. It's You know what I'm saying? Like Yes. Like, no, that's what, because that's what their job is as a media their job is to get you to watch. If everything's perfect, you're going to turn the news off and you're going to go do like, but if you're scared, you want to know what happens next. So they're always pushing the fear, but both sides do it. They're just different uh, stories, I think. But, but one point I try and push is that people need to expand what they think of as the media. The media is your Twitter feed. The media is true. Vlogger the media is podcasts like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you cannot even w- ever watch cable news. And by the way, way more people listen to Joe Rogan's podcast than watch cable news. Okay? That's true. Yeah. Comedians so, tell me that like back in the day, you know, going on the tonight show was the thing to do. Now it's like be on Joe Rogan's podcast. It's like way yeah. bigger than that stuff. If you're a comedian and Joe Rogan gives you like the cosign. You have a career like that's it. Mm-hmm. He's a kingmaker. Yeah. Uh, you can almost do it over overnight. And I mean, I legitimately think, like, for example, if if Joe Rogan endorsed Joe Biden, right, I think it would have been a blowout. 
I don't think it would have been close. But just because he was like, oh, that guy is old and he can't talk. And, you know, I'd rather vote for Trump, right? That was just enough to make, even though, I mean, Biden won by 7 million votes or whatever. But I think he's that powerful. The only problem is he doesn't realize it. He kind of just does this thing like almost like he's not. I don't know. So and I, I respect Joe Rogan, um, especially being someone in, in the podcast uh, yeah. field. I think you have to recognize uh, what he's done, how unique it is and how. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, God, this stuff has been fascinating. I haven't even got to any of my music questions that I had for you. Um, but I did think it was interesting, too, uh, if we could talk about music for a little bit. That, um, like I said, because I thought that you were younger, but you're kind of closer to my age. So you grew up with the same influences, like the Megadeth, uh, the Symphony of Destruction. That was one of the first videos that you saw in uh, November Rain. That's that's my that's when I started getting into rock too. Yeah, I mean that's what a great era. I mean it's the last, not the last great era for for MTV. They still had another good uh, 10, 15 years in them, but. But yeah, it was it was an incredible time. I loved the thing I always say about that era, even though the rock and metal was the stuff that uh, I was most gravitated towards. I love it. I, it was diverse. That's what I liked. Loved about it. There was, yes. was hip hop and there was grunge and there was, you know, and they were they even I got into a lot of the 80s bands, you know, because they would do those the top. 200 videos of all time and there you know you see tears for fears and yeah. you see death and uh dire straits and things like that so it was kind of the the way i am when i get into any thing whether it's music or comic books or movies is i'm i go all in and i just want to and i want to know about the history and oh who right. is person and oh who's oh they're wearing that band's t-shirt let me go check that out i'd get the you know the liner notes and Oh, like I remember there was this, uh, there was this band in Jersey, uh, this like metal band and like, and I got their demo and in the demo sleeve, it like put all the albums that influenced their album. Oh. I went like, I, and it was just like an education. Like, oh, I need to get this album. I need to get this album. So, but I'm just the type of person that, that just goes down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Me and, too. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, because I think it's, I think it's fascinating and I'm, mm-hmm. and I just have great reverence for history and the past and that you know it's to some degree i think there's a certain type of people that feel like it's never been better than ever right whatever the new thing out is the best mm-hmm. and there's some people who like always think the old thing was the best i think it's a combination of both i agree yeah but i do think you cannot uh certain eras the way they did things like it'll never be like that right because- circumstances right so if you see a film like alien right like there was a mm. way they shot films and there was a way they edited films and there's a way they sco- like they're like it's a it, it is completely of its era it's mm-hmm. an artifact of its time and you can make something theoretically as good today but you can't do it like that because you don't have the same tools you don't have the same so so understanding that and uh, going hey like when i listen to led zeppelin 4 like it's never going to be like like there's right. nothing going to be like that, that that that's that good with that thing. And yeah. so I, so the fact that you can go back and and find that that historically there's just all this hidden treasure out there. I always love that just discovering things in the past and and now this is the best time to do that because we have oh, for sure Spotify and Netflix and YouTube. Uh, 
yeah, YouTube just, yeah, watching, you know, like one of my favorite things is going to YouTube and just pulling up old shows, you know, White Zombie from 94. What can I find? You know? Nice. <laughs> you know? uh, it's a, that's a, a, a real fun thing for me. Yeah, that's cool. And then, um, because yeah, you started getting into the heavier stuff, obviously, like Slayer, Pantera, but originally you, uh, you liked Metallica and Megadeth, but Slash was actually your favorite. And you still say he's your favorite guitar player? Oh, yeah, still my favorite guitar player. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of surprising because you your bands obviously are more heavier, but uh, you can appreciate his uh, technique and stuff and style. And well, I mean, with with Slash, I mean, as a just purely as a lead guitar player, he has tone, right? So you hear <laughs> just you hear his guitar and you know it's him. His style is so um, recognizable, and his just his ability to compose as as a lead guitar player you know there's really only a few people that i think can do it at as well as that in terms of melody um you know david gilmore from pink, pink floyd. floyd um you know maybe you know some of the you know eagles stuff there's just very you know uh, brian may you know Queen. brilliant brilliantly melodic so it's just this idea of kind of style and composition kind of in, and then you know, maybe outside of Hendrix, he's our most iconic figure, you know, uh, in terms of just, like I said, you can see a fucking silhouette. Of <laughs> yeah. Black. And that as a, uh, I would say there's a difference between a, a musician and a rock star. Thankfully, Slash is, is both, but he has that cool factor. And ultimately what people don't realize is that often is actually what makes 12 year old kids want to pick up a guitar as they just see someone who's just a badass and yeah like, and you just gravitate to i wouldn't be a badass i'm i'm a nerd no one likes me you know and and that, that there's that kind of aspirational aspect of that that especially as i've kind of moved into different realms as a player uh and gotten to with bad wolves enter this kind of mainstream rock world it's like you want to fill these shoes of being something a little bit bigger than just a guitar player right and you have to you have to be the performer you have to be the larger than life and kind of and listen so it's given where i'm at it's a little more self-aware i don't think slash ha- thinks about being slash i think he just is and that's the best yeah. and that's why he's so cool because it doesn't feel contrived uh but it is something but me being an analytical person uh it is something that say hey i you know Set set your your sights high and try and be as uh try and model the best after the best that have that that have ever done it. So yeah, well you're certainly on your way. You're doing really well. But yeah, so before Bad Wolves, we got to talk a little bit about God forbid this band. So you started when you're 16, and like I said, 17 years. That's a long time. But I mean, this I don't know how I'd never heard of this band. You guys did a lot of big shows with Five Finger Death Punch. Kill Switch Engage played with Marilyn Manson, Lamb of God. You did Ozfest, like so. But what were for you? What were the highlights or lowlights of your time with God Forbid? What stands out to you? I mean, Ozfest was huge for us. I mean, it was basically the history of metal on one tour. It was Sabbath, Judas Priest, Slayer, Slipknot. Uh, you had you know Ensemble was on there with Super Drunk Ritual, uh, and then the entire kind of scene that we came from was on that tour. Hatebreed, Lamb of God, Unearth, Atreyu, Darkest Hour, Throwdown, uh, Devil Driver. So it was just a real pivotal moment for heavy music. And it, and it was 
incredible to kind of because we at that point we had been grinding uh you know in the local scene like i said since 96 97 but as a touring band internationally for about four or five years so it felt like it you know we had gotten to a certain plateau that in some to some way when we started we had very humble beginnings very underground there wasn't really a scene for what we were doing we were always an odd band on any bill we weren't quite death metal we weren't quite hardcore we weren't quite thrash metal we were this kind of a hodgepodge and then after we were doing that in like 2000 2001 those bands like shadows fall and lamb of god and uh kill switch engage all started to come up so the scene started to form uh so that 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 was a big highlight you know and just and also doing something like that with a band like slipknot when you when you're like in close proximity to at the time they were the even though they were on the second stage they were the biggest band on ozfest right and we got to do off days with slipknot as well so we were doing ozfest dates then doing like arena shows on our days off with slipknot slayer and Hatebreed, and you're kind of you you get a first uh person kind of close look at how the biggest and best bands operate and that has a big impact on you because you go okay so this is this is kind of what it looks like to be that badass so what did you learn what what do the biggest and best bands do is there something that one thing that they're all doing differently than the other bands well, I mean, I think one thing you you start to understand how songs translate in like bigger environments and how you, okay, if I'm in the back of an arena, what kind of translates, what kind of sonically, like what sounds good, what, what works, you know? Uh, so that had a big influence on the record we made after that, this album called Constitution of Treason. You know, we had on the, on that cycle, I said, touring with Slipknot, touring with, machine head and you see it really had an impact on the how the song sounded hmm. and kind of trying to play to a bigger environment okay interesting you know, and it just listen it just changes it just puts the bar here it goes okay like you know when you see people like slipknot and machine head the way they get ready for a show and their mentality it's there's a it's a level of focus it's a level they take it so seriously it's not a joke for them it's not it's like they're going to war, you know, it almost looks like a football mm, team. Okay. Wow. They're, they're like, they're, you know, and, and even still at that point, because a lot of those bands you mentioned at this time, you're touring, they could probably just coast on their laurel laurels and just kind of like, Hey, I'm freaking slipknot. We don't need to try hard. We've already made it, but they're exactly. still at that point. They still want to prove themselves every night. You made the perfect point. And that's the same thing I noticed. It's like, Oh, they, like, they the the ones that had the least to prove took it the most seriously, and so that to wow. me at least the the evidence is that's why they're at where they're at is because yeah. they're not taking days off. They're not they're that they put that level of intensity into every level right of of their craft. Mm-hmm. So when they're making an album, even though I wasn't, I'm not there when they make an album based on what I saw and witnessed and understanding the people, they put that same effort into it. And, and if you're not the same thing, I remember we, we did a tour 2009, the mayhem fest and God forbid shared a tour bus with behemoth and being around Nurgle every day from behemoth and just his, 
the way, you know, just the way his mind works and his discipline and his focus and the way that's around that band. And they weren't nearly as big as they are now. You can just see why they would be successful. And so, you know, and that, and, and for me, it kind of laid out all these things of just, I don't know, a lot of people think they should be successful based on, oh, we're good or we're talented or we work hard. And you're like, yeah, but the people that are really operating on a different level, kind of like you to really be on that level, you have to, I don't know, it's like a frequency you have to tune into as a, mm. as a human being. Uh, and it's something I think I've, I've breached and I've, I've understood it and I'm it's, but it's, it's like, a, it's an, again, it's another kind of aspiration where I'm like, I understand what it takes. Cause you, cause I don't think you can coach your way to, to that. You know, you have to kind of be, you know, it's like when you like watch that uh, jo- Michael Jordan documentary. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that? Oh yeah. You know, and you understand, oh, like he's just, he doesn't think like normal people. Like he's kind of almost right. Lightly pathological. <laughs> yeah. He's you driven. Know. I mean, it's whatever people have, you know, I don't know. People are driven for different reasons. And I, that's why I like doing these podcasts. Cause I like to find out what makes people, so driven to do things and achieve such greatness. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's really fascinating to see when people do turn it on. I think it's, I think that's something that's inside of everybody. If they just find the right motivation. Well, but it's also one thing I haven't totally figured out is, is always a uh, sacrifice. So if you put right, you got 10 acorns, right. And you put nine acorns into the work basket then that you only got that one acorn for relationship, family, health, right? Whatever. Like, so sometimes it, to be that, to function so well on one thing, it almost, it's, it's very difficult to do that and maybe be a fully formed human being to, to, to some degree. So it's, it. Yeah. You said you kind of struggle with that sometimes that you just want to focus and do creative things and kind of go into that hole and just do that. But when you have to come out of the hole and like pay the bills or like deal with taxes or something, you're just like, wait, what do I do? Like, I just want to go in and be creative. That's all. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of, I think, I think the challenge of getting to like the next plateau. Cause, uh, cause there's the, right. There's your career, right? Okay. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, make enough money to do to survive and thrive and whatever and then there's like okay i'm actually a human being who wants to keep progressing okay and i'm i'm at that right at that age where a lot of people go okay well this is kind of who i am maybe i'm just not gonna change right so i'm i'm just in a a period now where i'm trying to challenge myself to go okay I don't really want to do this thing, but sometimes doing that thing is like eating your vegetables, right? It's like mm-hmm. thing that it's not fun, but if you do it, you'll feel better. Right. That's true. So, so it's, I'm, I'm trying to kind of crack this mental code of doing things that are not intuitive, uh, that my gut says, don't do it, but maybe my gut is an idiot because it's, <laughs> doesn't want to change you know <laughs> yeah but sometimes this idea of doing something that doesn't feel comfortable uh but hopefully i'll grow and kind of get to this next phase of evolution as a human being and 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 listen that's wrapped into maturity uh 
you know, just all of these elements of traversing traditional adulthood that have been challenges for me, you know, um, and, and a lot of that is is reflective of the career path I've, I've chosen. A lot mm-hmm. of that is just reflective just in a lot of ways I've decided to kind of be this nonconformist individual that kind of pushes against the pressures of normalized society. Uh <laughs> And, uh, you know, so I, I have this kind of internal dialogue that's always like going back and forth about not wanting to a lot of things that are normal for other people are very alien to me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I heard you talk about that it was interesting. But so after God forbid ends, I mean, a big thing that you did, too, was you moved to L.A. And uh, the advice you got was just say yes to everything until you have to say no. So you're trying to do all these different gigs. And the first gig you got was this thing where you played with uh Robert Trujillo from Metallica and Whitfield Crane of Ugly Kid Joe. And there was all this like, you know, star studded audience with Ozzy and Duff and uh, Stuart Copeland of the police was there. And then you posted that on social media. And so you learned to kind of help promote yourself, right. And kind of act as your own press agent. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, I think it's what you, what, what you have to do because there's this very kind of, especially in LA, there's this industry thing of, you know, you go out to a bar, go out to a show and you'll, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? You see some people. And the thing we kind of do is talk about the shit we're working on. Right. Sure. <laughs> Cause it, it, to, to some degree, you know, my time before God forbid my time before or after God forbid, but before bad wolves, I was just my own person, right? Just looking for projects and doing things. You, and so you kind of always have to have a story, right? So if you go up to some a friend you, you haven't seen in a while who's maybe in the industry, you go, hey, what's going on? Uh, what, you, what you been working on? They just go, nothing. <laughs> That's not a very good story. You know, right. Go, I'm doing this. I'm, I just I was in this recording session and I got this tour coming. You know, it's uh, you know a little bit of I guess uh, outwardly facing propaganda to just uh, let people know you're you're doing things and you're, you're busy because to, to some degree, I think if once you're not in the band that you were known for, mm-hmm. so some people, you almost stop existing, right? Yeah. Uh, people forget about but, you. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. But honestly, personally, for me, it was actually very liberating to, you know, cause I was, I was bartending and I was, you know, I was teaching, teaching guitar. Is that not degrading to go from playing Ozfest to bartending? I mean, cause I hear those stories all the time, but I'm always like in my head, I'm like, if I was at that level, I would feel like it would be hard oh. to go down. I feel like it would be not hard. Degrading. I actually got paid to bartend. <laughs> what? You didn't get paid at Ozfest? We no. So we did a buy on. So oh. almost all the bands in the second stage had to pay $70,000 to get up the tour. Mm. We had to take that tour support, and then we also had to take another like hundred thousand dollars to pay for the tour for the bus and the crew. And we, our per diem was ten dollars a day. So on Oscars, I made seventy dollars a week. Wow! For, for ten weeks. Ugh. But I think, but here. So, the if thing. the record company buys it, on you were on a record company at that point. Yeah, right? but we're but we pay for that ultimately right mm-hmm. so i'm so that so god forbid is still unrecouped to our record label and half of the money we owe to the label is just Ozfest. so mm-hmm. we won't see any royalties on any record sales until that money is recouped which is basically probably never 
So unless uh, you know some big movie chooses a God forbid song and makes you a couple million or something. Well, we that even that doesn't work that way. We'd have really? to sell basically the equivalent of like three hundred thousand albums just to recoup. Oh. So that happened or stream the equivalent of 300,000 albums. So we'd have to get, so 1500 times 300,000. That's how many streams. Oh yeah. That's a lot. Cause yeah, I hear stories about the streaming. It's just doesn't even like rolling stones or something. isn't hardly making any money off Spotify and such. Well, but they're also, it's like, not that they need it, but that's what I'm saying. It's just, you just put in the money. It's like, here you made 300 million and $70. All right. It's like, they're fine. Yeah, yeah, they'll be fine. So, um, you, so you said during this time when you were in LA before you joined Bad Wolves, um, there were some tryouts for for bands like the you uh, were going to just work, I guess, as a hired gun. It wasn't really your cup of tea. I mean, you obviously you do end up uh, joining Lamb of God for a little bit on a tour, but was there other what other bands did you turn turn down? Um, I'm trying to think if I turned down spe- specifically. I mean, I've I've had like almost like. I had to turn down. This is when Godfrey was still active, like filling in on bass for Machine Head for a tour, uh, because that, uh, God forbid, I keep getting my bands mixed up because God forbid was booked. And then I remember running into Killswitch guys on one of their tours, and they they said they were going to call me to fill in for Adam D, but again, God forbid was was booked and thing thing things like that. Um, so it's not as as much a situation of just turning down gigs. Um, it's just while when I was in LA and I was just like, hey, I'm just gonna try out for stuff and look for kind of anything. Mm-hmm. I just realized during that process that I think you know I remember I was I did this one tryout for this uh, one artist and it was just music was really weird, just odd arrangements. I remember I was like transcribing the songs and it was just taking hmm. me like hours just to transcribe because every part oh this part's in five eight and there's here's this motif and it was like and i'm just and the music was weird and i just wasn't really into it sure and i was just like you know what if i'm just if i'm not into the music and it's just a gig and i'm just a kind of faceless person over here strumming chords i don't think that's really what i want to do and around that time i ended up getting a gig writing uh freelance for vh1.com right yeah and and that was really great because they had a pretty giant readership and i was charged as the modern metal columnist so essentially i do you know a lot of stuff was very list oriented it's like like the first piece i think i did or first big piece i did was like the 18 bands you need to hear and 2016 or whatever year it was or you know and that it so people you know because it's vh1.com and and the funny thing is when people re- regard especially something like that which is an opinion piece people were like vh1 thinks this and it's like well no it's it's what i think i'm not right i don't vh1 <laughs> i'm not like you know it's like there was a meeting and we all, said, all right, <laughs> yeah uh, you're just the author of that article and it's but almost no matter what you put, people like on things like Facebook would just post that, like they'd share it. Mm-hmm. And it would, you know, and hundreds of thousands of people would, would read these articles. And, you know, and listen, half of them would think I was an idiot. And the bands I did include on there would 
thank me. And I, it, hmm. and it just, it kind of gave me credibility right away as a writer, even though I'd been writing at that point um, on my own um, doing stuff like metal sucks on my own website for about five or six years. And then I got hired to write on another website called creative live, which was a little more education oriented and industry oriented. Uh, and then kind of like that kind of reconfigured the way I was seeing things as well, because I was like, okay, if I'm doing this and I have a skill set here and this seems to be, I seem to be pretty good at this. I don't have to be so desperate to get yeah. a gig. Okay. Right? So, and then I was like, you know, I can be choosier and, and really just find something that suits where I want to be. So, you know, and then I think you'd go out and you do a bunch of things and see what sticks, but then you kind of find some gigs that work out. So I started t- touring with, uh, Maytal Cohen, who is a really well-known drummer, female drummer, uh, and, and she got famous doing covers on YouTube. Mm. And she had this massive audience, and she made a, an original album with this guy, Sahaj Tikatin, who's the main uh, singer-songwriter. Yeah, I had him on. I listened to your interview with him, too. Great, great guy. Great guy. And he brought me into that. And that was a really great project to be, be a part of. I thought the music was great. Uh, being Maytal got along really well. Everyone in the band was cool and it was fun. It was like a fun thing to like, they, it was basically a studio record and it's like, Oh, let's make this. Let's try and play the studio record live and put a band together and rehearse. And, and we did a tour with Queensryche and I was like, Oh, this is a cool thing. And we're out here and we're like, we're doing the thing. And people, you know, the band went over well and it was, it was fun. And we did the one tour and we split with the singer and then she just never replaced the singer. <laughs> oh. So it was, was literally, it was funny because we came off tour and I was like kind of psyched. Like, all right, we got a cool thing. And it was like kind of radio silence and there was just not much to do. And that's literally right around the time John hit me up about doing Bad Wolves. But it was Bad Wolves. Okay. It was called uh, Eye of Tongues. He was like, yeah, you know, because Max was the original guitar player, didn't really want to be in the band in the band he just wanted to be like a behind the scenes guy and i was oh. like so so that's how that that opportunity i just started and literally it was just all of a sudden i had time i didn't really have a you know a project i was at my other band vegas nerve that uh we had done done some shows that summer and i was like kind of writing music for that but nothing that i could really sink my teeth into so it was just like and that's just how things work out. You, one thing kind of ends, another 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 door closes, another door opens, and, and then yeah, well, it worked out. I mean that. So that first single, the zombie, obviously everyone knows that song. I actually I sent it to one of my friends last night. He goes, "Oh, I've never heard that, but I love it. It's better than the original." And um, I I didn't know this part of it though that the the original singer of the Cranberries was supposed to sing on the track. And on the day that she was set to record with you, that's the day she passed away. What are yeah. the odds of that? That's just bizarre. Yeah, it is uh, stranger than fiction, I think. And uh, and and like I said, it, it's something that I wasn't necessarily involved with setting it up, or even had a great awareness that was happening. It was something I had heard about, but mm-hmm. something. But you hear things like that, right? It almost sounds fake. Right. It's like, oh, we're looking to actually get Dolores from Cranberries to sing on the song. I'm like, and you, you it sounds like someone's bullshitting you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, 
and apparently was it it was happening and uh would it have been co-leads then or was it going to be just her singing no i think it was just going to be you know i don't i don't know how it was going to be set up but usually it's like you know one verse and chorus okay i don't who knows yeah how the the arrangement was 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 going to go uh but but yeah so and it's a tragedy of course she died way too young and uh but somehow we got brought into that and we were a brand new band and we Mm -hmm. were band a couple songs out no record out no touring so it was like this kind of blank canvas and we were basically part of that story mm-hmm. you know and so the decision was made to to release the song yeah and i love too that you guys are donating the proceeds of that song to her children that's like a really cool move well honestly if, if we didn't do that or something like that i think it would have looked it would it would have looked bad <laughs> i mean you'd be surprised how many people don't do stuff like that so yeah um, i mean um but listen i think being removed from it a few years from now it's easy to kind of look at it as like it was oh you could have do that i you know i listen that that was tough it was so bittersweet mm-hmm. right all this attention and get kind of a a leg up in terms of your career but it is on the back of something really tragic mm-hmm. and the whole time I was, we were going through that, I tried to just keep that in my mind that, oh, this is a cool thing for your career, but it's, it's at, uh, it, you know, it, it's because of something terrible, you know, and that's, that is, that's emotionally a very tough thing to, to deal with. If you're actually thinking about it, if you're actually keeping that. Well, I think you guys kind of brought the song back to life. And so I think it was a, I think it was definitely a positive thing, especially if you're donating the proceeds to her show. I think that's like all really, really cool stuff. Yeah, I, I, I know, but it, it's still just like, even like when we were shooting the music video, I just, the whole time I'm just trying to think about her, right? Like I'm legitimately like trying to be in that, like almost like mourning, you know, like, like being uh, contemplative and being mindful of the somber somberness of, of what that kind of meant. And then even like playing the song live, like it, it became almost this symbol of loss. And so we play the song live and people be crying because it, and it completely changed the, the context of kind of what the song meant, because obviously it's a political song about very particular historical events. Um, and then kind of being recontextualized to to kind of connect to to this to the singer and this artist uh who who who, who passed away so listen it's it's a lot it's something that like i said i you know it's not i feel no ownership over it at all i just feel like i was just this passenger in this this kind of rocket ship that just <laughs> so so all the cascade of emotions and ups and downs and kind of one, one event, but it was a life changing event. Yeah. No, that's really cool. And then another really cool thing you guys did. Um, I don't even know if you remember this, but there was a kid from Phoenix. Uh, do you remember Casey Jones? He sang that song, your version of it, karaoke, the video went viral 
And then you guys brought him up on stage to sing with you when he, when you guys played in Phoenix. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, that happened a few times. We would really, yeah. I mean, we'd bring kids up to sing and we bring just, you know, people, if they were in the, the meet and greet and they're like, Oh, I'm a singer. I'll say, Oh, we'll come up. You know, and you know, we'd bring people on all the, all, all the time. Wow. Things like that. Cause for, you know, you bring someone, you know, and we're doing some of these arena shows or amphitheaters and 10,000 people out there. That's like the highlight of their life. So it's for it's, sure. Yeah. You gave that kid a story to tell and a highlight of his life for sure. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, listen, things, things like that. It's like you have the good fortune to kind of be in this position to do these monumental shows and just giving anyone a little taste of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the least, the least we can do. And it's, it's fun for us because they're up there beaming and <laughs> excited and scared and everything and you're like you know it's like hey come come share in this like crazy circus <laughs> yeah that's like you gotta you kind of get to be santa claus a little bit i think some of this stuff yeah there, there's actually another video where ivan moody from five finger he's in the crowd or he's like walking from like because he didn't come from behind stage he came from like in front of the barricade and i guess it was raining or something yeah he had umbrella and he just comes on stage and just takes my bike and just starts singing zombie with us in his fucking that's i'll have to check that out that's on youtube yeah, yeah dude okay. it has a ton of views too okay i'll have to check that out um yeah so i mean you've had and you've had other hits you had three other number one rock songs and then hear me now was number two and then learn to walk again at top 10 songs so the band's kicking ass now you the tommy leaves the band and you never said did he say why he left? People speculated. I don't know. You did, You guys didn't say. I don't know if I can ask you. Well, if I he said a lot of things. So, <laughs> but you guys have never. I mean, he said he left, and he he blamed it on political differences or disagreements. You guys kind of just took the high road and. A lie, but you know. That's a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. I mean, he's just saying. He's just think about it, right? you're in a situation where you're not in the band anymore. There's a separation or something and you want a narrative that's going to work for you. You know, he went and raised $200,000 off of that idea. So it's like, it's a narrative that, that worked, you know, and we, we said nothing um, because we felt that it just wasn't the right time to kind of, address those things i mean and there's a lot of disagreements about that about what we should say what we shouldn't say you know but the band was in a situation where we felt we were going to be able to work out a deal you know to have him exit you know uh but yeah that, that's that's not what it's about and i'm, I'm not going to talk about all the actual things right now but you know he's he's saying what's what's working for him and you know and it's 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 unfortunate, you know, it's because it's it's become a very, very divisive situation. It's become ha- harrowing where we essentially we've been, you know, people that are supposed to be our fans, you know, just like you're nothing, you're over, I'm not gonna support the band. I mean, I mean, not like a I mean a, a lot of people. I mean wow. you know, so it's that's a it's a it's a tough thing. It's it's something I never really anticipate i never thought i'd be in a situation where we'd be carrying on without tommy it's not, not something i thought would would happen um but you know it's really unfortunate and 
we're kind of in this weird time period now where it's like where we have a new singer we have a record that's pretty much done and we're you know trying to just finish everything up and but we haven't given it to the people yet so it's this weird uh kind of negative space like 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 purgatory type, <laughs> type time and and like saying there's certain things where that we don't feel comfortable talking about okay uh, publicly but was he did he quit or was he fired or was it a mutual splitting well i'll say this he literally could not be fired he literally could, could not could not be fired so because you have a, ban- a deal that you guys have or signed and John were co-owners 50 percent. okay okay so it, the deal was set up so literally no one could be fired okay so it's only uh you know hey i don't want to be in the band with you anymore at that point there's no band but tommy was cool with letting us continue on at the time but i think in that situation people want to save face you know and go i quit but i was also kicked out because of cancel culture which one is it did you quit or did you get (laughs) like okay yeah he's saying what he needs to say to uh for a narrative that for a certain group of people that want to want, want to believe that, like I said, we, we haven't even put out a narrative. So it's not like there's a right. counter yeah. to that, but, and the, you know, and, and there's a good chance, right. That if this comes out and he hears it, he'll do so he'll go on live and say terrible things about me. And you think you know, it's not ter- terrible things about you. You seem so cool and nice. No, you haven't. <laughs> You apparently you haven't been following this. this I haven't. Well, not apparently not enough. Yeah, I just knew that he left and he had said some things and like your your guys' statement was very like uh, just very like like uh, very very short and very sweet and there wasn't a lot of reason. So that's why I was just curious. I was like, wait, what happened? I don't really understand. Like, I'm I'm of the mind, you know, in in general that we can disagree agreeably. Sure. Right? And, I personally believe in being graceful in life and that it's not necessarily the best tact to air your dirty laundry everywhere you go. Um, That has not been really respected on the other side of this. Like I said, you haven't been following it, but it's been, it's been as ugly as it could possibly be. Um, so but I'm not going to go into to details about that. If you, if you know, you know, there's ways to find out. But it's yeah, all, it's, well, I, I saw a little bit. I saw some things and then I was just like, I figured I'd ask you because I couldn't find anything that you had specifically said or the band had, except like I, a short tweet or something. I probably said more on here than I, I've actually said. So yeah, so I did my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And that's been, you know, our basically philosophy is to just try and take the high road not deal in the muck i think the, the the hard thing and this is like the challenge of the modern era and being traversing social media right we we kind of like exist in this world of, of social media where people have this direct access to you and i've never in my life really at scale had people go out of their way to tell me not only that I was going to fail, that they wanted me to fail. And these are people that were your former supporters. And uh, I think that psychologically, even if it's not someone you personally know or someone says it to your face, I think the brain still 
translates that as like real kind of like it's difficult not to somehow you know accept that emotionally right like you have to kind of deal with that Mm -hmm. and that's and that's a that's a very stressful environment you know and that's something we've all dealt with you know and so like we've taken breaks from social media or you've kind of you know we it's a it's a very it's a very tough thing and it's it's a challenge and i'd say it's like the challenge of our time is like to figure out how do you deal with that do you ignore people do you uh challenge them right so if someone comes on your page and says Mm -hmm. something that's clearly like bad information right they don't have the right story do you correct them do you you know what i'm saying Like, like and if it's 10 people, can you do that every time? Can you, are, then you're just someone who's literally like arguing with people on the internet. I hate that shit. Exactly. It's, it, it becomes kind of this, this empty kind of void that you just can never, n- never get out of. And you try and align yourself in a way that's positive and productive and focus on that. But it is something, it is a challenge that we're still going to have to kind of wrangle one way or, or, or another, we're not through it. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, uh, like I said, not something I anticipated, not something I have a complete great handle on. I have pretty thick skin. Like I said, I would do these articles with VH1 people would post it. And I'd have a hundred people call me an idiot. Right. But in a weird way, like that was a lot easier to take because they didn't, they almost weren't talking to me. They were like, doc Cole's an idiot. And I know mm-hmm. it was like, whoever wrote this is an idiot. Right. And it, it really wasn't personal. I knew, mm-hmm. but this is like, no, I don't like you. And I know you, and I loved your band before. And now I hate your band. <laughs> you know, yeah, like that's, it's, yeah, that's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a, fucked up. It's fucked up to know when somebody out there actively hating you and actively wanting you to fail and trying to do things that help you fail and and, and, Telling everybody that how how terrible you are, it's a weird feeling to have that. Well, and it's, it's especially on your level, I can't I can't imagine how many people I mean, obviously a lot of people love you too, but then there's a lot of people that don't like you as well. That's gotta be stressful. Well, I think the we want to believe, right, that we're unaffected, right? You know, I'm I'm over here. You can't you know what's that uh, yeah. you know sticks and stones right whereas that's bullshit right almost 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 every bar fight that's ever happened was because someone said something first okay (laughs) so this idea that that uh words are not effective or don't have some uh way to kind of push you but these the point of this is to provoke right that's the mindset of a is to get a reaction is to get you caught in a trap right so it is for me and i think everyone involved just anyone who deals with any form of online criticism how do you actually confront that because i've seen literally the biggest artists and most famous people in the world i see kevin durant right from you know brooklyn nets clapping back at people online i see elon musk who's a billionaire one of the richest people in the world he's clapping back at people that's what i'm saying like so to some degree it might be the most natural thing in the world to just if someone comes at you well you're going to give it to me i'm going to give it give it back a hundredfold right so what's the best methodology is it i'm gonna get rid of comments or i'm not gonna be on social media or do i ignore it do i delete do i right do what do you think is the best way um 
I mean, I the best way is probably just to you know block them, ignore them, just don't don't give yeah. them the the daylight. I think where I do think there is some applicable recourse is if someone is saying something that's demonstratively false. I think it mm. it helps to at least correct the record. True. So if they're so if you're being criticized on kind of false premises or false, you know, kind of uh, narrative, go, hey, listen, you don't have your facts correct. I'm just, you know, and maybe, you know, if you're in a position to, to correct that, a lot of the stuff we haven't been in a position to actually talk about publicly. Um, so it's, it's not, you know, and, and a lot of that is, you know, fear of retaliation because, you know, we're dealing with a situation with where someone, you know, doesn't have the same discipline as, as we do or kind of, a, you know, want for things to be drama free or, uh, not be kind of, you know, just, it's very ugly. It's very muddy in the, you know, sure. we don't want mud, but I think what we've learned about this, this kind of current era is that it really only needs one side to pull you in the mud. Right. So if, if someone is out and saying you're the worst person of all time, you're kind of already in the, even if you don't say anything like, like I was something I realized during this whole process, I go, I'm like, you guys know, they were like, Hey, it's a East coast, East coast, West coast beef. Remember that nineties? Like, <laughs> I remember those. Yeah. Biggie literally never said anything about Tupac, not one thing. And he still got shot. <sighs> Do you know, you know, and it, and, and it, it made me aware of like, you really don't even need two sides to have a feud. Someone could just come at you. And it's almost like when people, they, they almost presume both sides are going back and forth at each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this weird thing. Yeah. Preach. You're preaching to the choir here. I, I totally get all this. But I, but I didn't notice that until I was involved in one. And I was right. like, oh, crazy where people are like, man, they're, they're doing this, they're doing that. I'm like, we're literally doing nothing. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so it's. So listen, and, and to some degree, it's unprecedented because of the tools of social media and the ability to engage in a public arena mm-hmm. right? and where you're kind of at the whims of whatever your your power is, right? So the more followers you have, the more power you have, right? So if I have 30 some, some thousand followers, and the other person is 300,000 followers. Are we fighting a fair fight? Well, if you get on Blabbermouth, they got like a million followers. So they're, <laughs> you but get on Loudwire. Some of these websites got millions of people. Rolling Stone, all those. But again, it's not, I don't, you know, Rolling Stone isn't a mouthpiece for Doc Coyle. You know, it's, I, you know, it's, and then, like I said, once you go to that place, right? And if I'm going there and I'm, I'm going to fight the, the, you know, the war of words in the pub. Now you're in it. Now you're really in it. And then now you have to, and there's a always uh blowback, mm-hmm. right? Like there, if this gets like picked up, right. And then doc says this quote. Yeah. They always take the worst thing that you said. <laughs> there will be blowback. Sure. Trust me. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that's just because I choose to say a little bit, yeah. which is, the political narrative is bullshit and it's opportunistic. And the whole point is to manipulate people on partisan terms. 
is to weave the band narrative into their already pre-existing political narrative, hmm. which is we're on team whatever. And if you're with our team, then you'll hate those guys because they're on the other team. And it's like, yeah. And that's, and see, that's what was so interesting to me because when I saw that thing that it was about politics, I was like, huh, that's interesting because I heard an interview with you where you said, yeah, I kind of lean left, but I'm more of a centrist and I like to hear other people's viewpoints and I want to understand where they're coming from. So I was like, well, that doesn't sound like that fits with, at least for your perspective, like you're more uh, interested in, in hearing other different perspectives than your own. You're not trying to convince other people that what you think is right. You're more trying to understand the other. And I think that's a big thing that's lacking in just in the world today. Before this kind of environment we're in right now, which I think is a, a, a severe breakdown in the ability to actually converse and learn because there's between now and say 10 years ago or eight years ago, 15 years ago, at least 10 years ago, we were kind of all operating with the same group of facts, right? Like I could send you, if you came and you said a statement, I go, listen, that's not really true. And I sent you a link mm-hmm. I go, you see this, you see, that's not really right. You'd be like, oh, I guess I had that wrong. Now, if I sent you that same link, you go, well, that's fake news. That's your, that's your, that's the, the, the liberal, whatever the mainstream, blah, blah, blah. Right. Or the conservative. Yeah. It goes both like yeah. there's the, the websites, the news is a partisan. It's yeah. not in the middle anymore. So, so people lack media literacy. They have an inability True. to ascertain what's uh, reality and not reality. And this right. and it, and it's vast. And so I've chosen more to not have the conversation because if we have an inability to listen to each other in a good faith, right? Where I don't, and the and and I think the biggest problem with this is that people have an inability currently to not presume that if you voted for this person or you're with this side or you're you tend to lean that way, that you're not either crazy or evil. And people can't do that. They presume, right? If I'm Mister mm-hmm. Lefty, and if I'm like, oh, you're a Trump supporter, where you're either crazy or you're evil. Cause that's the only way you could support Trump. Oh, if yo, you're you you're Biden, you're a you're a communist. And, uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You're like, no, you, it's like people say Biden, if you're a like, Republican, you're accused of being a racist. If you're a Democrat, you're a tr- accused, I guess, communist or the big thing that they say is that uh, a lot of the, the Democrats are uh, pedophiles and stuff. That's the big thing that the thing they push. Okay. Once you get to that point. You're not having a conversation <laughs> That's what because there's it's there's nothing beyond that, right? There's mm-hmm. nothing, it, dude. It's not just pedophiles that they're eating babies. <laughs> and I'm sorry, it makes me laugh every time because there's people that actually believe this stuff, yeah, and it's I mean, comical to me. I don't know, maybe that maybe it's true. I can't, like I said, I take it all with a grain of salt, but it does make me laugh. I mean, it's literally the plot of it. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Except for the, the clown in the sewer. And no, but he literally, it only works because they're afraid. And hmm. the clown true children because they're afraid, which is the same thing they say about adrenochrome or that, that it's the, fear. you know, you know about it. 
So it's <laughs> no, but but that's what I'm saying. Like we're not operating in a world of uh, of reality. And the, and the and the thing about all I say, great liars, and also people who who kind of deal in this neo uh, conservative or not conservative uh, conspiracy world is that it all has a grain of truth in there somewhere, right? So sure. they'll use something like a Jeffrey Epstein, right? And go, well, th- that happened. So then clearly and it's like, well, no, I mean, they weren't children. They were they were like teenagers and it was tr- sex trafficking and it was horrible and he's a terrible person, but it's not eating babies, right? It's not, but they'll find, and so it, it's a it's a tough thing. And and the truth is if you if I'm talking to someone who truly believes in that, right? There's nothing, there's literally nothing I can say. There's no piece of evidence. There's no uh, logic way I can break it down logically that will undo their beliefs because it starts with the belief and then they, they do confirmation bias and, and, and work backwards to find evidence that supports something that they already believe. And it's, and I say this, it's very, very easy to discredit someone and for me to get you to believe something bad about a person or institution is very easy for me to get you to believe something good about a person or an institution is very hard so with these things all i'm doing is removing credibility from people and institutions so i you know and that is basically for me to win right it's not that i gotta get as tall as you i just have to cut off your legs Mm. and that's basically where we're where we're at. It's a it's a type of kind of information warfare that is effective in in that when I'm trying to fight a public war, right? A, a war of like like if I don't like Hillary Clinton, well, I'm just just say the craziest worst thing you can. And I'm not saying here to like prop up Hillary Clinton. I'm just saying if I'm trying to win and I'm people don't like me, I just make you not like her. And you just take that and like, oh, that worked. So let's just do that with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Oh, that worked with, you know, whoever you don't like, just go out and just tar and feather them. And it does, and it kind of doesn't matter. And it, it becomes a really difficult scenario. So anyway, I kind of went down a little bit of rabbit hole. <laughs> that was fun. That was a fun rabbit hole. No, but I agree. And it goes, and like I said, I think it goes both ways. I think that both sides are doing it to each other. And, uh, and, and, you know, especially with a lot of this stuff, like, uh, you know, like you said, the adrenochrome and stuff like that scares you, but then they, they, t- they take some of the stuff like the me too and the racism and stuff. And it's the same thing. They find this grain of truth and then they blow it out of pr- proportion. I mean, obviously some of those, a lot of those stories are obviously real and legit, but some of it's like, they're really like fishing for things. And it's almost like they're happy when they find it. Like, Oh, look what this person said in 1974 and, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's, you're right. It's just, it's so negative. It's like, it's not about building someone up. It's like cutting everyone else's legs off. Like, well, I, listen, I, this is complex stuff. Right. And I think you can, what we're seeing is kind of these competing philosophies where I think moral in a sense, moral panics are created. And then people start seeing monsters in the shadows, right? So if you're, hmm. and I, I say it's like, I think it's funny that like the word woke is, is mainly utilized for people very left, left of center, but I actually think everyone's woke. 
but they're only woke. They're woke to their thing. Right. So if I'm, you know, really like my, my idea is everyone's racist. Right. So now I'm attuned to an idea. Now I'm going to start seeing things that maybe are there, maybe aren't there. Mm -hmm. Monsters in the shadows. That's a great, you should make that a song. That's a cool title. What? Monsters in the shadows. I've never heard that. Yeah, but it's it's this it's this thing of once you make yourself aware to it, then you're gonna see it everywhere. Right. Right. And so whatever that awareness, whether that's you know, and the thing is I just don't think the world is a very absolute place. I think it's a lot more nuanced. I think it's a lot more you have to ju- look at every situation for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, and but people don't have the ability to do that. They can only draw big <laughs> generalizations. I think, pe- and that's yeah. because, because it takes too much work to just divide things as they are. I think people have to draw. Go, people have to. We tend to draw narratives and make pattern recognition. So well, see- yeah, it's like no. I think the 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 solution is not go check out the other you know, party's news site or check out this website, get off the internet, go out into the real world and just start talking to people. I remember the first time I went down to the South, I was like, I was so curious about the South because I hear all these things. I see, Oh, the South is racist. And so I'm thinking like, I'm going to the South. What? Where do you live? I'm from Seattle. And then I live in Phoenix now, but so I'm going to the South. We're going to uh, North Carolina and we drove around South Carolina as well. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking there's going to be Confederate flags everywhere. There's going to be like racist stuff everywhere. The people I talked to are going to be really racist. And I just didn't, I mean, I saw a little bit of that, but it wasn't like the media portrait. Like I thought the South was all these like redneck racist. Pe- I mean, there may be some of those people there. I'm not saying it's zero, but it was like, not what I, I was like, Oh, this is, this is, pretty much just like the rest of America, like, especially like Charlotte is just, it's like any other big city. It's like Denver. It's like Seattle. It's Phoenix. I mean, but here's the, the divide though. Pete, the, there's no such thing as this. Oh, red state, blue state divide. That's not what it is. The divide is between urban and rural. So if you go to major cities, and well, I mean, every- like I said, we drove around all the, okay, I was like looking for like, but yeah, the, thing, the cities are liberal. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. For sure. The big the cities, yeah. And that is, by the way, it's not because of some grand conspiracy. It's just the, the lifestyle of living in this city tends to make you, they're more diverse. You live closer yeah. together, so you tend to think more in collectivist terms. If you live in a rural area, you are you are literally more on your own, right? Mm-hmm. If you call mm-hmm. the cops, it might take them 20 minutes because everyone lives further away. Right. You need a gun because you have a lot of land and maybe there's going to be yeah. uh, animal on there or hunting is part of your culture and it's a little more normalized there's all these things you know you're a little less trusting of people because you live in a place where there's not that many people and you don't you're more self-reliant because of just the terrain and and the way you live and so there's a lot of things are embedded that are not that people presume it's just you know like i said it's a lot it is steeped in this bad faith you know, um, and listen, and being a musician, we li- we our bread and butter is playing down south and in Texas and in Middle America, right? So you you get to know the people, and you get to get out of these fucking stereotypes that 
I think people have a very difficult time not presuming that just because someone lives a different lifestyle than them, that they're a bad person. And exactly. that yeah. most of us are really products of our environment, right? Like we, the people in, the, in rural areas tend to be more conservative because the environment imposes these kind of invisible pressures to fit in, right? Same thing in the city. There's more, a little more pressure to be liberal or to at least, even if you don't believe certain things, at least project that you do, right? So that people don't. That's a good point. Yep, yeah. right. So, so I was, I would say the liberal areas are not quite as liberal as people think they are, and the conservative areas aren't quite as conservative as people think they are. But people feel this outward pressure to kind of fit in, and you know, like my takeaway from 2016 was like to listen more, expand, don't be in the bubble, right? And unfortunately, I feel like. So many people did the opposite. Mm. Uh, they hunkered more. Our, you know, the, our echo chambers are tighter, more restrained. And, but that's a, a kind of, you need a vast self-awareness. Um, but I think people feel like they're individual threats, right? So if you're a, you know, on the right, you're like, critical race theory is in every school and they're brainwashing our children and it's going to be, I don't know what they always say with like camps or bread lines. I don't know. Some, <laughs> you know, some crazy thing like the, the economy is going to be destroyed because they're going to, I don't know. There's, there's always going to be something right. And the left thinks that, you know, it's going to be authoritarianism. And I think, honestly, I think there's actually a little more <laughs> credence in that um but if you know if if you if every interaction you really believe is like this if we elect the wrong person this will be the end of the world or the end of the world. <laughs> yeah like and, and and the truth is i i do think at least with the right it's like they buying those all those guns for no reason right like they're preparing for something and because they're being hyped up that you're going to need those guns because of tyranny, right? I, I, the Second Amendment to fight tyranny of what, I, what might manifest itself in a, in a lot of ways. So I think that temperature is so high and all these media segments are always telling you this election is the most important election in your life. <laughs> but Yeah. But honestly, is it really though? Because like I look at all the elections and I go, I don't know that it made that big of a difference in my life personally, like if I had just turned off the newspapers and the TVs and the social media, if I didn't know, I don't know that it would, I mean, maybe the price of gas or corn is different. I don't know, but I just think it depends who you are. Right? It's exaggerated like, a little, I think. Well, no, I listen. I think if you're relatively middle-class, uh, relatively self-sufficient, I think the, the ebbs and flows of the, the federal government probably affect you very little right your taxes go up a little bit your taxes go down a little bit you know uh and it's and it's really how we how you know but i think where these things are felt are on the margins right like the day that trump got in like you had all these people these refugees who were like slated to come they were like on a waiting list they were like waiting in a camp and they're like oh i'm leaving to go to america on tuesday and they're like no you're not and that's it you go back to some 
war torn part of Africa or something, and you're fucked, right? I remember like reading those stories and things like mm. that. Like to that person, yeah, who got, no, that's who true. Need or or hurt their life, right? So it's things like that, um, that matter. Um, so, but I think for you know, so someone like myself, can I if I ignored it, would I be pretty much okay? Yeah, because I you know I do okay enough. I'm not necessarily overly reliant on you know a welfare program but there's certain things like you know like i live in california and they have a pretty great uh healthcare system where i get subs my i get subsidies for healthcare so sure. my healthcare that would cost four hundred dollars cost a hundred thirty dollars nice that's not so bad at all like, things like that we're like okay but that but by the way that would exist in california even if obamacare didn't exist right mm-hmm. so so there are things like that that are pretty actionable. You go, okay, that I can see how that affects my life. But yeah, probably the local government's more important than the federal for a lot of people. But even if that were true, would my one little peasy ass vote really have swung anything right one way or another? Right. That's 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 the other thing. So even if I was not, even if I was super clued in and like put all my eggs in this basket, ultimately it's just one, I'm just one vote, right? And I'm probably not going no one election local or otherwise is going to be swayed because of that. So, yeah, we got a band together, but okay. We got on a huge tangent, but no, I did want to ask you. So, I mean, moving on from Tommy, now you, you look for a new singer and you had about 20 possibilities and you whittle it down to five. Who were some, can you say who some of the possibilities are, or is that like disrespectful to the, I don't really want to say it at this moment. Okay. I feel like we're kind of, I almost would rather when, when we're like the, we're up and running, we have music out, we're kind of doing things because there are some singers that are great and I want to get a lot of attention and mm. I want uh, I want to help their careers out as well. Because there were people who are close, right? I just think are awesome. Yeah. Uh, that just didn't ultimately we, we went for with, with a different choice. Yeah. Uh, but because I think right now we just want to focus on DL. Yeah. Um, so it, you, you guys unanimous decision to choose him. And uh, you said he's easygoing, you know, easy to get along with, the even temperament, you know, not too high or too low. Uh, but so, what can you tell us about the upcoming album? I think I, I heard it's called Dear Monsters. Like, when does it come out? Do you have any song titles? Are there any cover songs? Or so, I'm not going to divulge any song titles right now because I have not been given uh, that. Okay. Latitude. Um, and when it's coming out again, usually the way labels work. Are they're not going to give you like a release date until you essentially turn in a record done. Okay. And we were pretty much, we thought we were done. And then label wanted a couple, they wanted a, they wanted some different kind of songs. So we went back to the drawing board and I think made like four or five new songs on top of the 13 we already had. Um, and with that, it was kind of, you know, it, it's just something better noise does. Cause they, they kind of want to like push you to the brink because they because you never know you might pull a hit out of your hat right, mm. um, and and we got some really cool, cool new songs out of it. So, but the you know hopefully we'll have you know the mixes and masters pretty soon. Uh, but I think this whole time I think we were looking at fall. Sometime. Okay, it is because it is going to be twenty twenty one for sure. Yeah, pretty yes. sure it's all it's all recorded. You just got to remix it and. Not re- just mix it, just 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 finish mixing. Because like I said, because we added songs um, at the end. Okay. So yeah, it's just a process. And our producer, 
was kind of who was mixing was like working on another record. So he's it's who's the producer? Can you say that is um, Joseph McQueen? Um, he but we like so we work with kind of a lot of different people. We have a very protracted um, system kind of working on songs. We work with some people on this, work with some people on this. But he, you know, we've done a, a lot, pretty much most of the vocals. You know, maybe about half the songs musically we've done with Joseph, and also it's um, Josh from Asley Dying is his partner. So they had a Sparrow sound. And uh, so he's doing the mixing. He mixed the last record as well. He did the drums with him. Uh, so, yeah. So it's just, but listen, this album feels like our own little Chinese democracy because we started it hmm. at the beginning, basically, well, you know, Mar- you know, the beginning of the pandemic 2020. And yeah, so well, what can I say about the album? I think it's much more streamlined in terms of the sound uh, in that I think we've kind of tweaked in the edges a little bit of the heavy side of the band and the kind of commercial side of the band so that things feel more like it's one band as opposed. I feel like the last record felt a little ADD in my opinion, where okay. it's just, you know, uh, so, and I, I just think overall the songwriting is much better. I did, think. uh, uh, did, uh, the new singer help out with the songwriting? He wrote one song DL wrote, and then he, you know, wrote vocals and lyrics. I mean, at least a half dozen songs like wrote or co-wrote, um, with the, with the band. So he definitely contributed quite a bit. Um, and he's dude, he's a great writer. He's a great, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, musically and vocally. So he's, it's, it's a real asset to have, have DL involved and it's exciting. And uh, covers, like we had some covers left over because we were doing this Patreon thing, mm. but I don't think any of those are going to make it. But I'm actually working on a cover right now uh, that is still being put together. So who knows if it if it makes, I doubt it'll make the record, but maybe it'll come out at some point. Who knows? But uh, But we'll see. Because I think, you know, philosophically, I think there was an idea to kind of step away from the cover thing for a minute because it was so kind of pervasive and, and to kind of put the focus on the originals. Mm -hmm. Didn't you? So yeah. Were you, are you kind of in a cover band with uh, Whitfield crane from ugly kid Joe? Or was that just like a one-time thing? The the wedding band. Yeah. It's a cover band. It does like priest and Sabbath and you know, bunch of funk tunes, the wedding band. Yeah. That's what it's called. The wedding band. But like I said, we we done, they've done at least one or two shows before I joined the band. But I've done two. Okay, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a I, I might be a weirdo, but I'm a big Ugly Kid Joe fan. I love I had Dave Fortman on. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a producer too. It's a really interesting guy. No, I'm dude. It's completely surreal to be in a band with Whitfield and like text with him and hang out with him because I literally at the same time I was watching Guns and Roses and Megan. Yeah videos so it's it's and dude and he's so incredible like just in a room because you know so many bands today it's like backing tracks and auto-tune and and just to like be in a room with an incredible singer yeah he is amazing underrated for sure like yes and and almost where i'm like he should be way more famous than he is in my opinion right i always thought so yeah for sure he hasn't done your show yet has he no, we've talked about it, uh-huh. and basically 
they have a new record or something coming out. So yeah. We're going to time it. Okay. Around then, but we're going to, we're going to get them on the show. We talk, I tried to do it when we had the last show, but we were just, we were literally busy all day, every day. Okay. So we just, we couldn't work it out, but he is, and dude, and he has just stories for days and just, and he's such like a bombastic personality. I can't wait to get him on the show. Oh, damn. I want to have him on my show. I keep reaching out to him and I'm like, they just don't respond. But maybe they're waiting until the new, maybe then he'll do a bunch of uh, junket or whatever. Maybe be part of the. I have about five minutes left. I have to, I have to, yes. I have to do my, my other show, but if, yeah, if you want to have any, anything else, we can kind of wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. It's, it took, I kept you way longer. Uh, the, my last thing is I always just end with a charity of the guest choice. Is there a charity or nonprofit that you like to work with or you want to promote here at the end? But I had something here. Damn, I lost. So I don't. I I was doing when I when I first started doing um, what's it called? Cameo. I was actually giving money to a charity that was for COVID relief workers. Oh, okay. But I actually don't even have it in front of me. So I was doing that, and then I found this really. See the. I guess the answer is I don't have a regular, <laughs> so I kind of yeah. so I found this one that's actually to help develop uh, clean water in. Ooh, that sounds good. Um, you know the third world, and I cannot find that one either. That's so okay. I'm- Just send me the link, and I'll put it in the notes. So clean water, I'll put it in the notes of this episode, and people can click on that and uh, throw a few. But I'll put the uh, obviously the Bad Wolf's website as well. People can check everything out on that. I'm sure you guys have a website. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, oh. um, I don't know what it was. I don't even, I don't even last month in our site. Kind of forget that websites exist. Yeah. I'll put that on there, but that's, that's, that'll have the links to all your social media and all that stuff as well. And, um, and so, yeah, if people want to check all that stuff out, they can. So thank you so much for doing this. I'll let you get to your uh, next podcast. You're a busy man. I, so I appreciate you squeezing me in. Hey, anytime. This is, this is a lot of fun. It's actually enjoyable to do an interview with someone who's prepared. Yes. And, and we had a nice flow. Even you know, Yeah. Sometimes- Political stuff, I get a little worried because I feel like it's difficult for people to listen and not, oh, now you're this person. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's No, because so- I think you keep an open mind. I think that's why we're able to have a – and, and I think we're, 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 pretty, we're both pretty central. So I don't think it's like, you know, we're screaming at each other. Like, I really like hearing your – I like hearing p- different people's perspectives because everyone – like, you pointed that out. Everyone has a different perspective. So Here's the problem. When you're – a fairly centrist person, even if you lean one way to a partisan, you seem like the other side. Right. No, that's true. I, I've been accused of being a Trump supporter and a uh, flaming liberal. So I don't so, know. That, but that's what I'm saying. So to someone who has a skewed idea of reality, you seem like you're right from the other side. So it's it's I'm just saying it's a very difficult time to traverse these issues in a way where we're all like I said, just engaging in good faith so yeah no i really appreciate it. I, I thought it was a great discussion so hopefully everyone else agrees <laughs> definitely chuck we well, you have a great day thanks so much for the talk and i'll uh, yeah definitely okay. appreciate it all right thanks doc see you later all i can say is wow uh i think i'm still just blown away with this interview we discussed so many things obviously music and that part was fascinating and his story um but i don't know i kind of enjoyed all the social issues and the rabbit holes that we went down Um, I never really designed this show to be like that. In fact, I've tried to steer clear of politics at the show's inception, but now I feel like it's just one of those things that you just can't avoid. It's on everybody's mind, and I think it's okay to discuss it a little here and there. 
um, especially if it ties into other subjects. And sometimes it's just so hard to avoid. Uh, what I don't want to do is get on big rants and arguments defending one political party over the other, or this politician is great, or this one's terrible. Um, but I really enjoyed the back and forth that Doc and I had on all these topics, and I hope you did too. Uh, so make sure to follow Doc and Bad Wolves on social media. And of course, go see them if they come to your town on tour. You can follow me on social media as well. And uh, your likes, shares, and comments help me more than you can know. And if you want to go that extra mile, like I said, you can write me a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, the link for the iTunes uh, review is in the show notes. You just have to scroll all the way down to the bottom to write the review. And of course, you can subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen. And that way you won't miss any future episodes. And I do have some really great guests booked and some other ones that will hopefully be confirmed soon. So, okay, I will end it now. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and remember to shoot for the moon. Mm-hmm.